You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark, Patrick, Towner, it's the four of us today. Welcome to the uh, Beltway Briefing, guys. Welcome back. It's been a couple of weeks. Um, a tumultuous and, and sad, very, very sad couple of weeks with Uvalde. The tragedy is beyond description. And gosh, there's, there's not a lot to say about what happened in the sense that it's just so beyond tragic on so many levels that... It almost defies comment, but there is activity in Washington around gun reform, gun safety. I I feel like I hear a different phrase. Everybody tries to, there's a different phrase every day, different headline every day as far as how to try to describe it and kind of take it out of the classic gun control realm. Uh, But there's a lot of other stuff going on. As well, um, January 6th hearings kicked off last night and new inflation numbers uh, through the roof. But let's let's start on on gun reform. Patrick, you and I were fortunate enough to spend some time last night with Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut, who's leading the charge on from the Democratic side of the aisle on 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 gun reform. Frankly, I think we both left that conversation encouraged, but why don't why don't you t- why don't yeah. you talk about it? Yeah, I agree. I thought, you know, he said uh, very candidly what we all know, which is this is just really challenging. He complimented Senator Cornyn, who he's been negotiating with and knows that he has a tough job on his side of the aisle. But he said he's as encouraged as he's ever been. And, you know, his comments to us, Howard, kind of highlighted some dinner conversation that you Towner and I had the night before, which is basically if it's, and we hear this with a lot of issues on Capitol Hill, if it's quieter amongst the negotiators, that means more is happening. It's when everyone's starting to get out in front of the press and posture that you start to get worried that it's going to fail. And so I felt like Howard Murphy was saying, we're close. We got a couple things to work out, but uh, he was Cautiously optimistic that they were going to get a deal. I think leadership publicly signaling they're open to a deal has been really helpful. Um, And I think it makes it a little easier. And I also think the White House not being directly involved with the negotiations has made it helpful, too. And I think everyone would just like to see whatever the least common denominator is that the both sides can agree on. I think, you know, the White House and Congress are are, congressional leadership are going to be willing to accept that. And that's progress. So I, I was encouraged and it was nice that Senator Murphy gave us some time to talk to us about it directly. Yeah, I mean, he really did. And it was, um, I mean, gosh, do we have a problem? Like, it's undeniable that we have a problem. And I think, I don't know why it takes all these mass shootings to to, to get people to act, but it's where we are, but it was, it was encouraging. I think you're, you're reading the tea leaves, right? I think there's motivation around doing something. You know, I, I also, we put out a note this week, Towner, 
and cozen currents on on gun reform and kind of looked at the history of um, guns in the U.S. and the political history and it's it's just it's striking. First of all, how I, I know this is kind of common knowledge at this point, but how out of step the United States is with the rest of the world on gun, the volume of gun ownership in the country and and um, mass shootings relative to the rest of the world. It's like it's unbelievable. But it does seem like there's progress that can be made that and it also seems like. You know, people talk about the NRA, the NRA, the NRA, and personally, I don't like the NRA, but this is, I think, about voters. Like, this is a grassroots issue. This is not an inside the beltway issue. This is not a lobbying issue. This is a grassroots issue. Tower. It is. It is very much so. I mean, if you look at... If you look at the statements of Democrats that represent red states or historically red states, they are very clear to say they're pro Second Amendment. John Tester, Senator Tester from Montana, did it last last night, said, hey, I'm, I'm all for a deal here. Let's get it done. But I, I just want to state I'm pro Second Amendment. So it's a it's a issue that um, that resonates with individuals. Um, and it and it uh, is a difficult one because uh, each individual person has their own individual feelings on guns. Guns like abortion, which we've obviously had a lot of conversation about recently, uh, are very personal issues, it seems, to, yeah. to voters on both sides uh, of the equation. But something like this comes about uh, and it, something like the Supreme Court with with Roe v. Wade, for example, and it forces a conversation. It forces everybody to introspectively look and say, hey, how do I feel about uh, about these issues that maybe I normally let the party handle for me, maybe I'm not going to let that happen anymore. And I think that's what's happening on the Senate side, which is so good about this. We're not just letting the party narrative dictate, you know, I'm in favor, I'm opposed. Let's have a real conversation here. Let's figure out what we can do. And and I, for one, hope that is exceptionally incremental movement forward, but uh, and that there's going to be more movement to follow. Uh, but at the same point in time, that's also how the process is supposed to work when you look at Congress. I mean, the House came in this week and they passed a series of what I tend to think are very common sense uh, gun reform measures, uh, but but were politically uh, much more volatile, probably. Uh, and they passed them with mostly Democratic uh, only majorities. The Senate, the saucer that cools the 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 institution, is uh, is in negotiations behind the scene right now to figure out what can get done. Uh, and I think the House would, uh, based on statements, be poised to pass potentially whatever the House, uh, the Senate yeah. is able to agree to. I think, Mark, the thing about guns is people that are into gun ownership and um, that understand gun culture, like get it, but people like me who <laughs> I, I've shot a guns once and I've shot a gun once in my life. Like I'm, I don't understand. And like the, I feel like that we're living in a never the two shall meet kind of it, environment because I just. It's very hard. It's what Towner said. It's very similar to the uh, abortion issue. It's very hard for the two sides to talk uh, coming from different worlds. Uh, but a, a couple of observations. Um, 
By the way, here's the big reveal. In my youth, I actually shot a deer. So I should be able to speak oh to both sides no. here. That opens yeah. up a, that opens up a whole round <laughs> of opportunity for the rest of us. Are you in downtown I'm going to pause yeah. and, and let the abuse roll over me here. We'll discuss that with Sue Ellen this summer. Yeah, ahead, oh, believe me, she knows. It's a long story. But a couple of observations. You guys had the great opportunity to talk to Senator Murphy. I know Patrick uh, and Senator Schumer were flying around together uh, as well. That's the Beltway. This is the Beltway briefing, I know. I spent the week at the um, state level talking about this. Had the opportunity Monday to spend some time with Governor Hochul, Kathy Hochul from New York, Tuesday with Governor Carney, John Carney from Delaware, and Monday, Tuesday, and last night again with, I hope, our next governor, Josh Shapiro. And this is, in in a sense, like abortion, where everybody is looking to Washington to do something. That's where the action is. But it's also a state issue. And the states are very focused and very different. You look at Delaware, New York, and they are one place on this. Pennsylvania is a a different place, much more like the divide in the country. But I think you're going to see guns and abortion uh, in gubernatorial races when you talk about voters. I think this is a, a... gubernatorial issue uh, as well. The other observation I just I just by the way, uh, so is abortion. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. This is not uh, this is not the Internal Revenue Code. This is not Washington uh, alone. I'm all for incremental progress. I hope something can get done. Background checks at a minimum. Something's better than nothing. And I am very hopeful with the report you guys are given and what we hear otherwise. At the same time, as you were saying, Howard, we have a singular problem in the entire world on this issue. And background checks are not going to address the underlying reality that we have far more guns than people already in the country. You could stop selling guns tomorrow and you would still have 400 million guns. In yeah, but, the, but it's very concentrated. People that own guns own, own a lot. lots of guns. Yeah. And the, the fact of the matter is the mentally ill idiot that walked into the school and shot children went to buy an AR-15 on his 18th birthday. Yeah, and... and, and- you can oh, shut that. You can. Some of this is like development of the cortex and like mental health. And but like there well, are you things. don't you don't shut that down by going from 18 to 21, which Congress isn't willing to do anyway. I, I think they might. Maybe. Maybe. And good. Please. Please. God, that that is something. But tell me, what were you going to say? I was just saying they're working on it. I think that's an yeah, active yeah. question for the Senate negotiation. Yeah, I right agree. Now. Yeah. And, and that is something that uh, the states, again, back to the, the gubernatorial point, the states, some states are, are working on. New York just did, in fact. 
raise the age. But it's just such a multi-dimensional disaster for the country. Towner and I were talking earlier this week, and we had a, a shooting in Philadelphia in a very popular venue uh, in the middle of a Saturday night that had nothing to do with background checks, had nothing to do with 18 to 21, just had to do with too many guns. And at, at some point, we are going to have to address getting getting gun those guns off the street. That's the irony here is that what happened in Philadelphia Saturday night isn't a Second Amendment issue. The Second Amendment constituency isn't in favor of the people that did the shooting Saturday night in Philadelphia. Haven't no, done. You, well, you have the ghost guns problem. Yeah, you have, yeah. That's that's um, part of the problem, though, is that the people who are huge Second Amendment fans want guns because they don't think right. that this is a nation can take away the guns of the folks that were in downtown Philadelphia doing that right. violence. And that's part of the problem. Right. Yeah. No question. By the way, I think abortion and well, two things. One, the fact that these are not just federal issues, but are also state and local issues is why our practice is set up the way that it is to be in at all levels of government, to be able to serve clients at all levels of government. We are not in these particular issues by and large, but these are just the best. These are just the poster children for the way that issues in this country come down. And it's why our practice is set up the way that it is. What I was going to say is I don't think abortion and guns are the same issue because I don't think they're that similar in the sense that nobody thinks that abortion is a good thing. It's just a matter of whether you have a right to choose or not. Guns. People think are a, there are, there's a whole segment of the country that believes that owning guns is a, for sport, it's a, it's, it's, this is a, I just think it's a different issue. They're, they are, of course, different issues in, in that and in other respects, but as a political matter, yeah, guns and abortion regulation are taking place, I say it, differently. The states that are not regulating guns are regulating abortion. It's the same political geography, even though they are very, very different issues. And it just goes to the divide in the country. It unfortunately is a red state, blue state thing on both issues. Well, God willing, guys, we will achieve some progress here because yeah i mean god like we need it and it doesn't matter if you have kids in school or not like there was a mass shooting in maryland yesterday like and and if you don't have kids you have grandkids or you have a friend's kids or you have nieces and nephews it's like it's so distressing yeah and that part i like you know talking to folks on capitol hill all week i got together with a number of clients and staff people and members and even amongst Republicans and Tanner, we talked about this a lot at dinner. Like I, the, the thing I kept hearing from people is I didn't talk to anyone 
who didn't think what happened was a big deal or, or wasn't right. horrified by what happened. Yeah. There, there is genuine, there is genuine sort of discussion about what actually makes sense and could prevent something like that from happening or could anything or, or the, the sad thing to think about is like to, to the statistics Mark pointed to, are we so far gone on access to firearms that anything we do isn't really going to get at no, that can't happened. be that cannot be the that can't be the answer we I hope it's not yeah no. it's a longest <clears throat> journey starts with the first step uh, thing but I will tell you uh, apropos your point Patrick that it's very much on everybody's mind and and it feels it feels different we'll see if it turns out to be, we are, uh, uh, there's an event in Washington next week, Sandy Hook Promise, which is a major sensible gun control event. Um, I'm gonna uh, be going with a bunch of people. I've been talking to R's and D's alike about whether they wanted to join us for the dinner. And there's no divide uh, this week in that conversation, which is a very, it, it's just an anecdote, but it is anecdotal evidence that everybody is looking at this a, as a different time than the last one. Yeah. Pleased to have our foundation support that that event, Mark, and yeah. um, great that you're going. Awesome. Um, Let's shift gears to January 6th, an, another fun topic. Uh, but last night, the January 6th, 2021 committee kicked off the, the hearings in prime time. I thought they were pretty well done. Um, I thought pretty amazing, Towner. Yeah, they negotiated or they uh, consulted with some media folks. So they, they were ready for the prime time show. Oh, my gosh. Big time. and. Like the way they wove in testimony, deposition testimony from Bill Barr and Jared Kushner. And I mean, it was it was very, I think, well done. Yeah, clearly some media consultants. Um, and, I, you know, we know where everybody is politically, but but also like, yeah, Liz Cheney is now ostracized from the Republicans. But She's still a Republican. She's still a conservative Republican whose father was Steve vice Steve president Steve of the United Steve. States. And like she is vice chairing the committee and she spoke last night. And I think, you know, I, I just thought it was very well done. Very yeah, Kitzinger well hasn't spoken yet, but he'll, you know, he will uh, as it goes forward. He's another one. He, I, you know, before all this, I wouldn't have called Adam Kitzinger a moderate necessarily. He represents a rural part of my state and, you know, uh, he's a conservative veteran member. Uh, these are not these are not like, you know, rhinos or blue yeah. state Republicans or whatever. They're they're not. They're yeah, conservative Republicans. The, the interesting thing I thought, Mark, is that <laughs> it wasn't the case they're making is not just about the day, January 6th, but it was very much about Trump's false election denial as a cause of what happened on January 6th. And that was very much what the, 
that was my takeaway from last night, that they are prosecuting, so to speak, the case against Donald Trump for fraud that ultimately that ultimately led to January 6th. Posted uh, as a teaser for the next hearing, there are seven conclusions, and the first word in each of the seven conclusions was Trump. So that is clearly the focus. I, I am, I am unclear about where we're going with this. On the one hand, it is so important. And so impressive that all of this is being laid out in such an intelligent and responsible way before the American people. On the other hand, if this too comes and goes, and what happens is the extent of Trump's complicity and venality is fully exposed and nothing happens, that that to me that to me is further a setback. Take it a step further and nothing happens and he's the nominee of his party in the next election, right? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's a very high stakes to me, a very high stakes proposition because we are either going to, like gun control maybe, slowly begin walking back from the abyss that we're staring into or we're not. And and if we're not, then we're yeah. tumbling into it. Well, I have a different view because, Counter, my view is you got to get the facts out there and call balls and strikes. And there's value in simply calling balls and strikes. And I used the word prosecute before, but it's actually the committee is not a prosecutorial authority, but the Department of Justice is. And there's plenty of stuff going on behind the scenes still as it relates to January 6th. They arrested yesterday a candidate for governor in Michigan for having been in Washington on January 6th. But that's not even what I'm talking about. I believe there's um, there are investigations underway as it relates to who did what that day to cause it and stoke it. And and that will be dealt with. But, Mark, I think there's. And Towner, I was kicking it to you, a tremendous value in just calling it out. Yeah. It can't, like, if you don't have the truth out there, you can't do anything. Right. But if the truth is out there and no one cares, then where are you? We care. I care. I think people care. But you cared before the hearing. This is about changing hearts and minds. Well, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, I think it's, I I agree. I agree with you, Mark, that like playing it out is really scary. Uh, if if you're feeling a little bit cynical, as I often do with this type of stuff. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I think if we look back to to Watergate, when it gets laid out and the public sees it every night, um, it's possible that hearts and minds start to change. I'm, I'm skeptical, but I, I agree. Like it, it, there's just, we don't have another choice, especially there were so many comparisons like this morning and all the editorials to the Watergate hearings, yep. a lot of great quotes from people who served on the committee. And when you really like, obviously I wasn't alive then, but when I read about what really was happening during Wait, Watergate. You weren't even alive. I got to do the arithmetic. That's- <laughs> yeah. Mark, he wasn't even close to alive. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. I, okay. I was a little slow on the math. By the way, that. I'm not sure Towner was either. <laughs> no. But when, when you look at like what Watergate was about, and it's been kind of fun watching this series Gaslit, and it's got kind of a fun, yeah. you know, take on the yeah. whole thing. But the abuses of power were real, but the fundamental issues at stake were it was about a burglary. This January 6th was, I mean, it was a whole different, bigger thing. Uh, and so it's just, it's, it's pretty. Yeah. It's well, pretty even, even though you weren't alive, Patrick, I know you know the name Hugh Scott. And the, the question is, where is Hugh Scott? It is laying all of this out, Howard, which is very important and very impressive, is laying all of this out going to lead to leadership? Is there going to be leadership asserted in the country, which is the Republican Party in 2024 primarily? Uh, is Hugh Scott going to reappear in the Republican caucus and say, we can't do this enough? enough. Yeah. Which, by the way, Towner, is what Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy said on January 7th. And on January 6th. <laughs> yeah, and on January 6th. As we've yeah. learned. Can can we get back yeah. to January 7th? We were in a better yeah. place on January 7th than, than today. Yeah, I, you know, I have to admit, like the timeline, I'm conflicted by the timeline. And and there's there's two sides of this coin, and I can't figure out which one's the right one and which one's the wrong one. Watergate hearings happened easily within a year of Watergate. Um, it was still somewhat fresh. And Watergate itself happened in June, I believe, of 72, and the hearings were in April, May of 73, I want to say. And so it was it was still sort of fresh. I mean, there were intervening holidays. We are now 18 months past January. We keep saying January 6th, but it was 2021, not 2022 that we're in right now. And I feel like for some folks, there's been a there's been too much distance between the re reality of what happened on January 6th, 2021, and where we are today in June of 2022 to, to actually care about it. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, I feel like Republicans are starting to create some space with Donald Trump. And so maybe there is, because of that time difference, maybe there is the ability to have your, you know, sort of your internal uh, internal party dispute in the Republican Party saying, yeah, we got to we got to figure this out. We have to actually get to the get to the root cause, which is President Trump. Very clearly, as the as the hearings were were right to, to point out last night. So when yeah, you, I agree I, with that. Tom. I have to um, I, I have to have my head examined for taking issue with Professor French on a historical fact. With but, the, but Nixon didn't resign until seventy four, right? Right. Yep. But this so, wasn't a couple of people breaking in yep. to. No, yep. no, no. <laughs> this was the storming of the United States Capitol. It's, I mean, unlive, they shouldn't, they shouldn't even be, they're, they're going, they're even going prematurely. I agree, Tanner, it's unfortunate that so much, so much time has to pass, but they're still investigating what's going on because it's so extraordinarily complex. And I think in a, in a world in which, you know, the house wasn't about to flip, 
they would have waited even a little bit longer yeah. because they're waiting for all the facts. But, yeah, one point of but, agreement, though, at Towner, this is you alluded to this it's a little separate from the timeline. But one thing that I do think makes this different, maybe a little bit on how much time has gone by. But the other thing that's different about Watergate is that. And again, January 6th is not just an investigation of President Trump, but Watergate was examining the conduct of the current incumbent who had just been reelected overwhelmingly in 1972. Right now, we're examining the conduct of a former president and take his future political viability out of it. I think that matters in terms of how the American public is going to receive the content. I, I, I think that it makes it a little harder uh, to, to really hold the attention of the American people on what happened yeah. when we're talking about a president who no longer is in office amidst all of the other things that Americans are concerned about. That is not a criticism of the committee. That's not me saying they took too long, and that's not me saying what they're focusing on isn't important. This goes to the mark point for the capacity of the country to have this resonate. That, yeah. that, I think, is a hurdle for the committee. Yeah. Yeah, Howard, look into your crystal ball as the, the Washington insider here. Uh, and you mentioned it a minute ago. What if, what if there are significant prosecutions, not that what has happened is insignificant, mm -hmm. but the even more significant prosecutions of even more prominent conspirators here What's the political impact of that? My my concern, my question, I remain yeah. hopeful here, but wow, can can we actually be at a time and place where the United States indicts and prosecutes leading members of the former president's administration, maybe including the former president, and it has no electoral impact? Well, I that, think it that's does. That's the question. But I think it does. I think it will. I Towner doesn't think so. No. But, but 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 I, I guess I, well, I hope Towner's wrong. On Mark, this Mark, I told you two weeks ago the guns wasn't gonna or gonna have an impact on no. the elections. I told you four weeks ago that Roe v. Wade was not going to have an impact right. on the elections. And I still think all of those things are not gonna have an impact on the election. I'm not are saying we, Mark, it's are we talking about the midterms. Yeah, sorry. I'm not saying it's going to have an impact on the November elections. Yeah. I don't think it is. I don't think any of these issues. I agree are. with that. But I get. I look at this in a much broader, much more long-term historical context as opposed to a political context. I look at this, and I'm sure people in our audience will take issue with this, but I look at this the way I look at Nazi Germany. I look at it as you must call it out or it will happen again. This is not to me about politics so much as it's about history and calling out bad things and surfacing them because it makes it less likely that they'll happen again. For me, that's what this is about. I believe in with a long-term view that plays itself out politically over time, but I don't think it plays itself out politically immediately. It's like the gun issue. You have to start somewhere and you have to call balls and strikes. You have to call it out or it happens again. And that to me is what this is. I will say this on behalf of clients uh, and because I believe it, I have fought 
uh, tooth and nail for the ability for former felons, uh, you know, who have left jail, who have left pro, uh, uh, probation to vote and run for elected office, especially in the state of Florida. And I am regretting those decisions now because if Trump gets any sort of metric, even if it's just a, a couple months of probation, you know, I would actually like for him to be prohibited from running for federal office again uh, as a result of that. So we may need to revisit that policy uh, on a case by case basis. Guys, let's let's pivot once again um, and end on end the podcast on on this. So inflation, uh, Mark is is roaring today. New numbers out again, very very bad from an economic point of view as far as the rate of inflation. You mentioned already that you spent several days this week with Attorney General Shapiro, who's running for governor in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's a fascinating race because he's a Democrat running in a tough cycle, although against a Republican with a lot of baggage. But what how is Josh dealing with the fact that all elections are nationalized at this point and that the economy is in a very tricky place? I'm just curious what what he had to say. Everybody on our side of the aisle, including our uh, candidates in New York, uh, Delaware, and Pennsylvania, everybody's worried about gas prices. That is the poster for inflation, $5 a gallon national average, first time ever this morning. And if this election is about the economy and the economy alone, it, it is going to be bad for for Democrats, in, including Josh. How how are they handling it as a, a campaign matter? I, I think they are doing the right thing by confronting it and acknowledging it and dealing with it. Uh, can't hide from it. It is too omnipresent. It is too pressing on on all people. You know, inflation is uh, inflation is very different than unemployment as a political matter. Unemployment is brutal and devastating for the family that lost its job. Inflation hits from top to bottom. Obviously, the top is better able to handle it than the bottom. But this is something that is on everybody's mind, especially everybody who drives a car and fills up a tank. I and, drive a car. And you don't fill up a tank, I understand. But your electricity is higher. It is higher. So, yeah. And your carbon footprint's still suspect, Howard. But that's, I know. A, but I know. that's a different podcast. Yeah. And, and Josh and Kathy and John Carney are, are talking about it. That's all that, that, that they can do. Talking about it, acknowledging it and committing to doing what can be done. It, it has fallen on the president. That That's the political dynamic. It's all fallen on the president. Yeah. Uh, Sue Ellen Alderman, right before this podcast, asked me why Biden wasn't doing more on inflation. That's a bad sign for the midterms, <laughs> but that's the dynamic. And he's today, the president is at the port of Los Angeles. And by the way, the labor <laughs> markets are relevant to inflation. Yep. I mean, uh, well, it's uh, actually your You've made a point for years that immigration is an economic issue. And 
immigration is part of the answer to the labor market, which is part of the answer to inflation. But there isn't going to be any immigration reform between now and November. Yeah. Towner, Patrick, give us closing thoughts. Towner. I'll be very curious to see who the president talks to at the Port of Los Angeles today, because there is a ongoing uh, labor uh, dispute. They have to rework the con- uh, the contract for the dock workers uh, labor union. And, and uh, that could I mean, that could be if if dock workers go on strike in this country. At oh, the end of June, forget it. I mean, you know, Biden might as well just, you know, resign or Congress should just fold up shop for the rest of the year at that point. But yep. uh, but hopefully that he can get something done there. And, I, you know, he's a big pro union president, though, so he's going to have to put aside a little bit of 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 those, um, you know, strong moral values that he holds to to really, you know, get a deal done here. He's he's going to wave the flag in public and then go behind closed doors and tell them don't even think about it. Yeah. Patrick, cl- take us take us away here. What what's the uh yeah, I mean, closing I think war, Warriors Celtics, Patrick. Let's, yeah, let's, closing out the week, feeling we talked about a lot of heavy issues on the political side. I mean, the big takeaway from Democrats I talked to is just fear of the political environment, like Mark said. And I think that is gonna color everything uh for the next several months, separate from the larger legislative issues. I was Looking back, Caitlin was asking me about, uh, my wife Caitlin was asking me about the elections and the environment. And I, I pointed to, if, if it's not the best presidential ad in history, it's certainly on the Mount Rushmore presidential ads, uh, Ronald Reagan's 1984 ad, Morning in America. That ad focused on two issues, only two, interest rates and inflation. That was it. That's all he said. That was the story he told. This is what it was before I got elected. These are this is interest rates now. They're down. Inflation's down. That that's it. And yeah. if if that is not a good story uh, for the Democrats right now and for President Biden, fortunately there's some time before the next presidential election. But Americans feel that, and yeah. it's just everything else is kind of just not uh, going to have a real impact if if we don't get the core economic factors turned around. Well, let's. Let's end on a lighter note, Mark. You talked about the, uh, you mentioned the NBA finals. I'm disappointed thus far. The games are not, I'm all in for, I'm all in for the dubs, but the games, I feel like every are you game Warriors? lopsided. Yeah. yeah. The games aren't close. They're not, they're not suspenseful. And we're used to, no lead is safe in the NBA. Let's start there. No lead. You could have a hundred point lead and it's not safe in this league. But we need some some suspense. I'm sticking with Warriors and seven. I do. Look, can I make a strong case for why I love the NBA Finals, though, separate of these uh, scores and how it's been? It has been a little lopsided. March Madness is fun, but I'm always left feeling a little gypped because upsets are like exciting. But man, a seven game series between the two best teams, you will never leave that series not knowing who the better team is. You just won't. It, it, it will, even if it's 50, even yeah. if it's super close and it's decided in seven, you'll never leave a series going. Yeah. That team should have, you know, it's it's just it's a great if you yeah. want to know who the best team is, it's a great way to end the season. But, but I, don't you don't you always leave the series going, man, the refs decided that series. <laughs> Isn't that spoken like a former rules committee? <laughs> <laughs>
I need. I'm, I'm rooting for a game seven in the Rangers series. Exactly. Howard, That's what Howard I need. Then go to the guard. I will be there Tuesday night. I know. If there's a game yeah. seven. And I will be in Boston Thursday night if there's a game six. That's I've got a New York to Boston business trip. Completely coincidental. <laughs> right, right. But I'm taking advantage uh, but, of the coincidence. And also completely coincidental. Isn't there some golf thing going on in Boston? That's part of the business trip because we have to go see our Jim Davis and I have to go see our client, the USGA. We have to do a site. It is a site inspection at the country club in Brookline. He'll he'll have his magnifying glass, making sure. Well, tell Jim to remember his passport. They won't let him out of uh, Scranton without it. Tell Jim not to take the money in the live tour before you go up there. Right. Well, guys, uh, we dealt with some heavy subjects, but hopefully in a way that shed some light on what we're hearing and what's going on around town and uh, spirited as always, we will, we will be back next week. Thanks everybody. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.